Hello, I'm Kenza, and this is the Finding Space podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Finding Space podcast. In this episode, I talk with British coxswain Matilda Horn. Recorded back before the Tokyo Games, Matilda talks about the transition from rowing to coxing, dealing with chronic pain, and managing the intricacies of coxing in Elite Eight building up to the games during a pandemic. We join the conversation as Matilda tells us about that transition to the GB team. Enjoy! So I'd started trialling for GB as a lightweight, so I the idea was there. Um, but I... <laughs> One, kept getting injured, and two, I just was struggling to keep my weight up. So um, an uncommon problem for a lightweight rower is to struggle to keep your weight on. It's more normally you're struggling to keep your weight down. Um, <laughs> but I I definitely, um, there, my, my first year, there was um, a point over Christmas where we had something crazy like nine exams in a week. And then it, it was followed by a training camp and by the end of that second week, that training camp, I think I'd lost something like three kilos, which I didn't really have to lose. Um, and it was six weeks away from the GB trial, which would have been in February. And I ended up going home for Christmas. And then I didn't end up coming back for two weeks after the Christmas break because I just got so ill I think I'd finally switched off I got I think I got tonsillitis but I, my body had finally switched off and then it really switched off <laughs> and yeah. I think that um I came I managed to recover for the February trial but I turned up at the February trial so for a lightweight row you have to be 57 kilos and I turned up to this trial at 53 kilos and I'd already was struggling with the um ergo side of things which I'd mentioned before and it was partly a mental barrier and partly a physical strength barrier um and I managed to do an okay enough ergo that they let me race but that's probably where I started to realize that maybe I wasn't maybe I was going to have to shift my mindset and that probably took a year and a half until I found my feet and what shifting that mindset meant because at that time I still wanted to row and I still wanted to be involved in rowing. And if that meant not doing it as a career, it was like almost a short lived dream at that moment in time of trying to get into the lightweight rowing team. But I think that maybe that was the start of me realizing that maybe my pathway wasn't going to be through rowing, well, well physically rowing. Yeah. Um, and over a year, my back got pretty bad. It had been bad when I was a junior, but nothing specifically wrong with it. And then um, it it ended up getting pretty sore. And I think because I didn't know what was wrong with it and I had got myself into this mindset cycle, I actually ended up in, in chronic pain as opposed to there being a really big injury. Like I did have a small injury, but as opposed to there being a big injury, I actually had ended up in chronic pain. Thankfully, I was on a really good course for that and was able to access lots of lovely um, sports rehabbers to help me out with my back. But I finally realized with the help of my lecturer and doing a module which was based on pain, I realized that actually I was in chronic pain as opposed to having a, an injury. 
So is that just maybe explain that a little bit? Yeah. So it's it starts with an injury. So there's something that, and then for me, it was a small bulging disc um, at the bottom of my back, and then over time, you associate, you get yourself into this sort of cyclical loop. So you associate, well, that hurts when I row, and your brain keeps going around that loop. So even if your back isn't necessarily injured as such anymore, it's still got this bulge, but it's not really pressing on the nerves. It's not really creating what the the doctors and the physios would see as like a, a physical huge injury. They're still seeing the symptoms and your brain is stuck in this cycle of producing symptoms without the injury being a huge problem. Does that make sense? So you can feel just as much pain even though you might look at the body and think there's no evidence for this to exist. Exactly. And so there was, you know, there's a small injury there, but it shouldn't have been causing me as much pain as it was. And I think that that was initially very hard to me to hear because I think I heard that as you're making this up, which of course I wasn't making this up at all. It was painful and it was hurting and I was getting neural pain down my right hand side of my body into my leg and I was getting those symptoms it's just that my brain was creating those symptoms because it was used to being in that state and eventually after a sort of three months or so of seeing physios consistently I actually found this amazing consultant who through the NHS she thought that the best thing to do to break this pain cycle was actually to treat the disc. So the disc was clearly a bit of a problem. So let's try and treat the disc and the nerve. So I had an injection in my back. Um, and at that moment, I sort of thought it was probably a month or so before that, that I, I sort of thought, uh, is this, am I going to get into the GB rowing team rowing? Is this pain worth continuing rowing? And I kind of had decided maybe it wasn't and it was really, really hard decision. And I think that I'd, I kind of was at peace with it because it had taken me almost a year and a half to make that decision. Um, and then it kind of got suggested to me, this all happened extremely quickly, <laughs> kind of got suggested to me, why don't you try and continue rowing a little bit, but try coxing as well. You can stay in the sport, you're small, it's easy. It should be an easy shift over. So I thought, oh, well, I may as well give it a go. So I had this injection in my back. I was trying to um, take up coxing and start coxing. <laughs> I was trying to row a little bit as well. And all of these things were happening simultaneously. So took a bit of time off after having the injection in my back. Um, and then eventually moved into coxing and rowing and eventually realized that maybe I didn't need to row. Maybe I could just cox because it felt just almost yeah. just as good. Is it quite common for that transition to happen or do normally do coxes come from no rowing background? Um, I'd say it's common for coxes to have done some rowing. I would say it's probably not as common for coxes to have done as much rowing as mm. I have. Um, so that must have been an advantage for yeah. your sort of progression. Yeah, I think so. I think just the feel the boat feel you get from rowing as opposed to just coxing is is really quite different um and i guess just the it was by that point relatively innate rowing mm. um it was almost so natural that then 
obviously that doesn't mean you don't still learn but it just the the simplicity of it and the simple side of things was so clear and obvious to me um by that moment that I think that definitely lent itself to to the transition and to the ease of the transition so maybe let's have a quick breakdown if you can of what it entails to be uh olympic cox and you know what it what are the jobs because i mean to make it all about mindset you almost do become the mind of the boat you do you are you are sort of managing you know eight other athletes through a race you're in control you know you're talking you you'd almost sort of picked out those points of technique and mindset that you are really you know sort of drawn to what what does it take to sort of be in that environment during a race um during a race i think like just composure i think if you so in a race you are the voice you are the mindset and you are obviously each athlete has their own mindset but you are the overall voice and mindset technical um cues and you're steering the boat so you're reading the race and feeding back to the athletes you're giving them live feedback on where they are on their the process of the race on the splits that you're seeing in front of you so how fast you're going and the strokes per minute they're taking the how it's feeling and so you're you're the brain of the boat is what we call mm, it yeah <laughs> like and when you're um steve peters the um um psychologist he always talks about the chimp brain and the mm -hmm. chimp paradox and the when the rowers are in that moment in the race like there's this chimp side of them that comes out so they aren't always able to think as clearly and you are in that moment the calm composure and also you're ramping them up <laughs> for when you need them so in the moment you're a lot of things and i guess you you're trying to provide that for every individual as well as the whole team the whole crew which is really challenging that must be quite difficult to sort of juggle your own sort of internal thoughts of what's going on and how you're managing the race ramping them up to a point where they're you know at their peak but also managing them to keep calm almost it's like it almost feels like an oxymoron yeah it does yeah <laughs> you're this weird um <laughs> mixture of everything i think that it's definitely a balance that i've often not got right um and i think that a balance that i have got right and when you get it right it's you can be a huge um i guess just a hugely integral part to winning the race um i think that it's unlikely that a cox can completely lose a crew race in my opinion i think you unless you have completely screwed up the steering or you've called them down before the line like it's unlikely that a cox will break a crew i do think that a good cox can m win the crew race um and i think that definitely comes down to that balance um and i think it's just the management what i think really gives a cox the ability to do that is actually the time spent in the three four five years previous to that 
race and I think that the months leading up to one race is one thing but just getting to know athletes over a long period of time is so so important and I think that we spend a huge amount of time outside of the boat so probably for now for example it would be in an in a typical year um September to January a cox doesn't get in the boat a huge amount and then January February you do a couple of training camps and then you get out the boat again for a few months and then racing seasons comes and March April through the summer you're in the eight all of the time and I think that all of that time spent out of the boat you're learning like you're Mm. learning you're coaching the athletes you're watching them on their ergo training you're watching them their weight training you're talking to them you're getting to know what it is that and any of these athletes in the squad could be in your eight it's not like you're you've just got eight people you so you almost have to get to know every athlete not almost you do have to get to know every athlete because any of them could end up in being selected in the eight and it for me that's the most integral part because I think although it's hard it's boring it it's not always boring but it can be boring (laughs) I think that you you they're the moments that you don't want to miss because you might find an absolute gem when it's pouring with rain it's December and it's freezing cold and you watch a pair go out and you learn something about one of those athletes that you can then in that moment when it's 36 degrees and you're in the middle of Italy in that moment you can say I actually remember that person burying themselves in this session and I know they can do it so how am I going to get that to come out of them right now so you're essentially sort of almost looking for trigger warnings like looking for okay I know I don't know if I can like create an example but sort of even midway through a race I guess you need to know that this situation whatever rower it is it needs something can you talk to an individual in that sense or is it very much you're just talking to the team like how much sort of nuance do you have during a race I think because there's um you have like a split second to make a decision Mm. and I think that um it's quite common that you'll be going through a certain marker and something will remind you of an individual in the boat and it's quite common that I'll pick on that person and I'll because I've got a microphone that goes to the whole crew I can say that person's name and call a word and just hope that that (laughs) that that triggers them and more often than not actually if you know the person well enough if if you call someone's name that's enough like it actually doesn't matter what the word is afterwards if you've really tuned into someone and they've realized that you've tuned into them they know that you need them for whatever reason and if you can really draw out their forte in that moment then yeah that's amazing and I think the other thing behind that is if you've created a good enough team and I think this is where the strength in the team is so huge if you call that one thing for that person everybody else is going to get on board I mean I know your role that week isn't to like necessarily it's not just sort of mental health but you are overseeing the 
athletes and you are putting a lot of time and the way you've spoken about it that is something that you're sort of consciously making sure everyone's okay making sure you know things you've picked up uh through the season and your sort of knowledge of them is being seen to what are you doing for yourself are you do you have things that you consciously go through you know are there i mean if there is, is is sort of that mental health and mindset building up to a race, is that something you've thought about before? Do you go through procedures to make sure you're focused and ready and and sort of calm, I guess? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, for me, one thing I've, I struggle with a little bit and it's not, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I guess one thing that I struggle with a little bit is that I am very easy and quick to adapt to be easy for others so I don't put myself first and I think that's just part of my nature and when it comes to sharing a room I am quite quick to just make sure that I'm not in anybody's way I'm not in that other person's way I'm not um I don't know hindering what they want to do and how they want to work and I think that over the last few years whilst being in the team, I've learned, I usually end up sharing with one of three people when it comes to racing. And that's been a huge help for me, just knowing who I'm gonna be with. So now I'll try and make sure before um, we travel, I know who I'm sharing with so that I can do all of that faffing because I know what they're like in a room. I can do all of that, you know, adapting before I get there so that when I've got there, I'm a little bit more comfortable and then I, in order to switch off, I will often read a book or watch something really mindless on Netflix. Something as mindless as I can think, like one of those terrible, cheesy chick flicks that nobody else would ever want to watch. You mean amazing <laughs> movies. That yes, exactly. That's crafted. exactly what yeah, I mean. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, because then I don't have to think. And I think that for me, I'll get myself into an overthinking cycle. So mm. that type of thing really helps. And then as soon as the regatta starts, I actually love to watch the racing. Okay. Because I think for me, knowing what's happening so that I'm not going to go down to lunch or supper and talk to other athletes. And I'll often try to sit away from my crew more just to give myself a bit of headspace and a bit of time. Um, I'm not going to put my foot in it. I'm going to be able to talk to somebody else about their race. And actually that for me is my way of setting myself up to race because if I know what's happening with everyone else, I have all of the knowledge. I can talk to people about it. I can, then when it comes to my race, all of that's out the way. I'm not having to think about anybody else. I only have to think about the eight. I only have to think about the people in front of me. Um, and I only have to think about how we're going to warm up, how we're going to do this, this and this, and then how we're going to race. And very much something I'll do every day before we race is go through the warm up. So I think as the cocks, um, <laughs> often for the rowers, like you, you warm up on land and then you get on the water and it's almost you're still nervous because you haven't quite got on the start line, but you've started moving. You've started rowing, you're doing your pattern, you're doing what you're used to, and the nerves start to 
sort of almost settle a little bit. As a cox, <laughs> you then have to remember the whole warm up. So you then have to take them through. And it, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it before, if you're not physically doing the movement yourself, it, the ingrained movement pattern doesn't sink in mm -hmm. as easily. So I'll go through the whole warm up and you have to make sure it fits in to the warm up zone that you're in. So I've made sure I've studied the course. I know exactly how long each loop is. I know exactly how long the, the warm up section is so that we can do everything perfectly. And then once I'm on the start line, actually, as soon as the buzzer goes, that I'm fine. And mm -hmm. it, <laughs> I almost don't say anything for the first five strokes of the race. And as long as I know that I've been through every single day that warm up, I know that after those first five strokes, I haven't said anything, I'll know what to do. I'll know what to say. And sometimes, okay, it doesn't come to you immediately, but you, you know the race plan inside out and you know the process and you know the crew and actually if you if you've been with a crew for long enough you you know that you can trust your instinct to call on whatever it is that you need in that moment and I think that almost for me actually the mindful mental health side of things in the lead up to the race is if I get that warm-up right the race will take care of itself i I don't know if that always works. It obviously doesn't, we don't always win, but like that side of things for me calms me down a lot. But I mean, also it doesn't have to result in a win for it to be right because it you're performing at the level you're happy with. And sort of during a race, how what sort of percentage is just running through your um, sort of pre-game strategy, the, the sort of what you've gone through with the coach and the team before or how much are you sort of analyzing what else is going on and other teams and you're having to react um i think it really varies race oh, to race okay. so i think that if it's going well and you've set off and your rhythm and your processes that you've planned to take especially in the first sort of three to five hundred meters if that's working then you almost stick to that more and the processes stay, well, the race plan, if you like, and the process of the race plan stays more prominent and mm -hmm. that leads you through the race. Whereas if you've gone off and it's not quite right, then you maybe have to tweak it and then you may come back to that race plan and that those processes, but it's definitely a, a big picture, okay, come back to it, a big picture, okay, come back to it. And I think you're always checking in for me it's more of a checking in tool so it's something that i can reference against as opposed to the main crux so i guess it's the it's the bit that holds it together but i'm really looking around me to find out okay where are we in the race and if we're doing well and it feels good then i'll keep sticking to those processes and that plan if we're maybe not quite where we want to be, I'll check in with the plan to see where we should be and kind of work our way back to that. You know you're not gonna win every race. That's just never gonna happen for anyone. You know, uh, you very few sporting careers in any sport, you win more than you lose. So how do you deal with that is that something that you just have to block out is that something that you need to just face up and understand 
you know, what's the, how's that sort of mindset to racing and approaching it? Because you can't go into every race and being like, we need to win, we need to win, because you're then just going to have huge slumps, surely. Yeah. Um, I think the way definitely as an eight that I've been part of over the last few years, the way we have approached that is to talk about it's, a, it's very similar to what we we're talking about before actually like what are we what will be a success and actually probably more so in the last well the years are all confused now but <laughs> the year year and a half two years we've sat down before a race and written and said what would be successful what would be success and we've um, quantified that and that might be having a really good race and whatever quantifies that might be we got off the start and we did it in this time and we rated this and but it might actually be it felt like this and if every person in the boat felt like x then we've been successful even if we've come fifth sixth third or won it like we've been successful if we've done that from start to finish and that for me I don't think we did that as much in our first year or two um, or my first year or two in the team and I think the reason being we were all extremely new and it was a very young team and actually we just thought we were going to go and win so off we went <laughs> and when we didn't it was like oh Christ, like, yeah, so now what? <laughs> what were the consequences of not being open and talking about that? I think um, the disappointment was huge. I think that, uh, like you said before, the, the peak and the trough was so much bigger and so much greater. Um, and it meant having an open and honest discussion afterwards was challenged. Um, we tried, but it was already challenged. It was challenged before we went into it because we didn't, open up about it and I don't think that was necessarily a coaching point or a a support staff point or it was probably us and I don't think we as a as a team understood what open honest conversations were and really how to be open with each other um and I think partly that comes with experience and I think that when it's set out in a way that okay, we all have to be really open to talk about this. And it doesn't work every time, of course, but if somebody doesn't agree that this would be a successful race, you need to say, because if you're going to come off and feel disappointed when we've achieved all of these things, then then what was the point in writing it down or talking about it? And what's been the impact of that? What have you noticed that has changed and sort of, so I think that um, obviously we've still been disappointed if we haven't achieved all of those things. That's so, how we're going to go away. <laughs> exactly. So we'll, I think where, where we have achieved it well is we've come off a race and we've sat down. Um, we've sort of given it a few hours and then we sit down and we have a debrief and we sit down with the debrief and we check back through those points and we say, okay, was it successful? And actually, ultimately what we've realized is that one of those things we didn't meet if we didn't feel successful ultimately it's because we didn't achieve one of those things on our list and that might have been 
um let me try and think of an example i don't know let's say okay so last year i don't know when the years are <laughs> last season <laughs> when we um when we raced so the last time we raced pre-covid pre-covid yeah. <laughs> a while ago yeah. <laughs> a long long time ago we did a race and it was the start didn't go as well as we wanted it to but the rest of the race was really good and we came away and we all sat down and we said okay well we've got one more race to do the start wasn't quite right this bit was awesome this bit was really good like i really felt and then maybe we could just tweak the end a bit. It was good, but maybe we could ramp it up. And But let's put our, shift our focus a little bit in this last one to maintain everything we did there, but just get out the blocks a bit better. In the final race we did, we got out the blocks a bit better, but we didn't quite manage to hold the middle. And there you go. Like, okay, well, we came off. Were we successful in achieving getting out the blocks a bit quicker yeah we were did are we kind of happy with that yeah did we manage to hold ourselves to the same account we did the race before no so can can we sort of be okay with being a bit disappointed about that yeah and actually it just makes being disappointed a little bit easier it but it lasts. doesn't take away the fact it, you want to work on it and exactly yeah and it sounds like you're as a, a team you're very open and sort of frank about these things which is obviously really important would you ever and not to sort of put you on the spot mm. but would you have these conversations about mental health would you have are you sort of or do you feel you're as open for your whole team to just put their hand up and say i'm not feeling great on that side of it because I imagine athletes are very comfortable or usually some hide it to their own detriment, but with injuries, would you, you know, are those conversations happening sort of pre-race or pre on that week before, month before, I'm feeling really low, I don't understand why, you know, is that open environment stretched to, to that realm? I think that, if we, I think since the lockdown, I think that there are aspects of the team that are doing that better. And I think that um, I obviously, as you say there, we've spoken about being very open with our communication. I actually think that we sometimes aren't as open as we'd like. I think we talk a lot about how open we are. And I think that that's really good. I think the conversations are happening and the conversations have progressed massively even over the time, the short time that I've been in the team, four years. The conversations around both physical and mental health have massively progressed. I don't think we're there yet. I, do, I don't think we're fully comfortable around everyone and I think that's okay for now. Um, obviously I'd like it to change, but I think that for now it's, it's okay, but I think it will start to show cracks. And I think from my experience that I've had within just the women's eight, had we been more open and honest about how we were feeling ahead of certain finals, 
maybe we could have achieved more. I think we're physically capable of more than we've shown on paper. And I think that we've done a huge amount of work over this period of time that we've, we've almost taken this lockdown period of time as an area to move forwards. And we, you know, you can progress your mm. strength and fitness as much as you like, but ultimately sitting down on a video call is very unusual for us. We're so used to being around each other every single day. And for me, sitting down on the video calls in the first probably two weeks, which we had a video call almost every other day, just between um, sort of 10 of us. So just a small portion of the team. And we sat down and every day it started with, okay, how are you feeling? Uh, for me, that was a really hard question. Mm. So I think that I initially really struggled moving into the lockdown mentally. Um, my job as a cox is to, well, the way I see my job as a cox is to be very interactive with other people, to talk to others, to understand how they're feeling. And I put so much energy into other people and how they're feeling. I don't think I'd ever really sat with how I was feeling, especially when I had nothing to do um, or not much to do. So those talks, those meetings would happen. We'd all sit down. There'd be 10 faces or nine faces looking at me. And the question would be, okay, how are you feeling? And I just burst into tears. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm crying again. I don't know why. And actually it was just the, the sheer aspect of everybody looking at me. Mm. Like, yeah, okay. I wasn't feeling 100%, but I wasn't feeling that bad. And then it opened us all up to be really honest with how we were feeling and by week um, 17 or whenever we were on it was a meeting once or twice a week and we'd sit down and it was okay how are we all doing and we were all so quick to I've had a really hard week or last few days have been really hard or oh the last few days have been great I actually saw this person or whatever it is that's boosted your mood or I baked this cake and we definitely started talking around okay so tell tell me how you're feeling give it a I don't know give it a mark or whatever and then talk about one thing that you bought that was really great in the last week or one thing that you and we'd put something on it and it just meant that it wasn't completely open-ended but it allowed somebody to open up if they needed to and stepping back into being around everybody again, I feel like we're trying to drive that as a whole team. And I think that it will start happening. And I hope that come racing now, before those finals, if somebody's not feeling right or somebody's feeling nervous or more nervous than they think they should or whatever it is, they'll be more open and to flagging it and saying something. So, and it seems to be quite an interesting period that this lockdown when everyone has been sort of apart from each other, but sort of, you know, there have obviously been a lot of struggles during lockdown and people have not dealt with it well. But just talking in the um, sports world, it seems to have brought some teams together for that very purpose that they've almost been forced to actually talk to each other. And you spend so much time with each other training, going through the motions, but do you actually have that 
oh, are you okay? And sort of ignoring the fact it's so easy to ignore what else is going on in the world. And that's not a bad, that's not people maliciously doing that. It's just a nature of you're going through your day and you're not thinking, but you could be sat next to someone who's having a really tough time, but you don't normally address that. So, I mean, it sounds like it's already made a big impact. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, yeah, I definitely think for me, it's about, putting the hard work in now so that when it it should be second nature when it comes to racing and I think in the past where you get you can get so carried away in elite sport with is this right is that right is the boat going right and as a person who's very um in touch with people and wanting to understand people and wanting to naturally really check if somebody's okay I think that I I'll always lean towards feelings and sometimes that's really difficult in elite sport because ultimately it comes down to facts um a lots of stuff is objective as opposed to subjective and I think that it's something that I naturally want to do more but finding a way of how has always been hard and I think that for a lot of people, that's always been the case. And I think that this, there's actually been an opportunity that we wouldn't normally have got. So it's been one of the benefits to it. Yeah, and it certainly ta- it's not something that you can just do. You can't just buy a package and it's done. It's just a complete shift in the way you think about coaching and training. And, and I guess it kind of leads on to a sort of the big question, if you will, in terms of, do you think you can have an Olympic champion, an Olympic career where you win gold and you put mental health at the top before anything? Yes. And no. <laughs> um, yes, I think you can because I think that if you're going to have a... I think a, an Olympic champion is a whole person it's not just their race it's not just their one moment it's the whole process that's led them there it's their whole journey and that is going to include their mental health um and I think that because mental health is such a spectrum and they will have that person will have had highs lows average days all of that fits into their mental health so if they put that first and trusted and thought how am I feeling today how will I train according to how I'm feeling every single day that could be really amazing and really beneficial and could really push them on their journey towards that Olympic win or Mm. you know and then I think where I'm hesitant to say yes entirely is because I think that if you solely focus on how you're feeling every day, sometimes you really don't want to go out and train. Sometimes you really don't feel like it. But as soon as you're out there, as soon as you're doing it, it could be the the best session you've ever done. And so prioritizing mental health and where you're, where you feel, 
sit along that spectrum i think yes and i think as that being the forefront however learning enough about it um so that you know okay i don't feel quite right today but today is a, i'm still gonna have to push on i'm still gonna have to do this in order to achieve the olympic win that's that's where i think knowledge is going to be really important and that's where i think that yes eventually however how many people have that knowledge over their mental health right now i i don't know if that's if it's enough if that makes sense well it almost i mean it kind of feels like a, a trick question in a way because <laughs> obviously if you just implemented it now it would be very difficult but i think it's almost it will take i think if a team or a nation decides from now from the next olympic cycle we're going to put mental health on the top of our list i don't i don't believe that would have a detriment on success in the way i think some people think it will yeah in terms of i think because some of the worries that you quite rightly saying in terms of oh well you know training might become difficult in terms of when you're feeling bad some people worry about it maybe stopping athletes and the the system will change it will take a very different approach to the hierarchy of the system how you train but i think even when you said like oh you know i'm feeling low today you know but i've got to train that maybe is a really interesting thing because maybe i don't know but maybe it's a case of actually if you lead with mental health the same way oh well i'm feeling cramp in my leg i shouldn't do this today you know if you've got a program where you're truly getting each athlete to understand their mental health so putting in preventative procedures putting in understanding trigger warnings understanding you know how to help afterwards then maybe that's a going to be an even better way to train maybe that's like oh well you know i can put in this block of training when i'm feeling really good and i'm going to get more out of it i i mean i don't know if that's pie in the sky thinking but it's sort of these ideas and conversations i feel like will happen more but it will obviously take a huge amount of effort and maybe sacrifice on the short term but long term, it's obviously going to be better for the athlete's well-being. Yeah, I agree. Which is why I think I want to say yes. Yeah. But I think the, I think you're right. And I think the, um, what you were saying there about prioritizing mental health, I think we're definitely in rowing at the moment where we're shifting for the next Olympiad. And it's all a bit confusing because we're what, we're already starting this year of the Olympiad technically. Um, I think that the shift that's happening in rowing at the moment um, is looking towards athletes having more autonomy, having more, yeah, autonomy is probably the best word. And I think that if we're going to achieve that well, if we're going to succeed with this model moving forwards with mental health as a priority, we have to have more knowledge. And I think that if we're all willing to um, like sort of 
uh, provide ourselves with the tools and the knowledge, you know, build up that toolbox. And it has to come from a level playing field of coach and athlete so that everybody has input into it, then the knowledge will be shared. And that's, in my opinion, how you progress. Where I think sports may struggle with it, elite sports may struggle with it, is exactly as you said before, is that hierarchical mindset. And I think if if there's not an input, a collective input is what I'm trying to say. If there's not a collective input from the whole team and the whole process, then it, nobody's ever going to have all of the tools. Has it been, was it difficult for you to sort of switch off and then switch on again in terms of you were up to, well, it was March was the lockdown for everyone, but in terms of you'd made the selection, you were very much on course for the Olympics and then it was sort of, okay, now we need to start again for another year. Did that, how did you sort of approach that in terms of your training? Were you just training up and then sort of on a break and then start another year or how does how so does that work i used the lockdown um i had my back injury came back <laughs> last february so i was rehabbing from that and so um we actually hadn't been in an eight because they were going through pair selection before we moved into the lockdown so i was very much focused on my own physical training um and i'd found through the first sort of four weeks of lockdown, a really nice routine in the sense of I was able to run again. I was able to, and running for me is hugely part of my mental processing. I love to, like, when I'm out running, I can switch off and anything that needs to be processed will kind of just happen. I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, didn't even realize I'd thought about X, Y, and Z whilst I was out there. So that was nice in terms of the therapeutic side of things, I've been working on getting stronger. And so those sides of things just took place quite nicely. Where I really struggled was that I hadn't been in a boat. So I had all this extra energy and all this sort of, um, I was very amped up, ready to like step into the eight and get this project really, really going for the Olympics. And then it never happened. So I had all this adrenaline and all this, emotion and all of these thoughts and ideas and nowhere to channel them, nowhere to put them. Which is why I think, as I mentioned before, I struggled so much in the first part of the lockdown. So finding the routine and physically helped, but I was looking at all the rowers who mentally actually stepping away from our like centralized training program to training at home yeah, it was hard because they were training on their own, but the training program didn't change. They were still every day getting up to do the training program that was set out in front of them that they were able to read. And I think for me, the fact that I had nowhere to channel that energy was really, really hard to switch off. And it almost was switched off for me. And then coming back, I sort of shifted towards this, okay, well, when we get back, we'll get back out in the eight. And then we came back and almost transitioning to switch back on was I went through all of that again because we got back and actually we, we weren't straight out in the eight, which I should have seen coming, but obviously I was too excited. Um, and I think that 
I had an idea of, okay, well, September the 1st, we go back to training, which means we go back in the eight, which it didn't. It meant that they got back into pairs and we find our feet and they start getting used to the water again because for everybody, it's the longest period of time they've spent not on the water. And it took six weeks before we got out in an eight. So all of that time, I almost went through all of that emotional roller coaster again, had all this energy and no idea what to do with it. Um, so I think I have found that hard. I've actually had to sit with it, which has been, it's not something I love. I'm not sure it's anything, any, something anybody loves to do, but it's definitely not something I love to do. Um, so I actually, I did quite a lot of yoga over the, the lockdown almost like once a week. And I did it, one, to get stronger and to increase my flexibility, but actually I did it to really have a focus for an hour or 45 minutes or half an hour. So in those first four weeks, I just was making sure that at least once a week I was I was doing this 30 minutes of yoga. And then I thought, okay, well, you've been doing all this running you've set yourself up a bit of a target, which was to run a half marathon. And so I didn't really want to do anything specific with that. I just wanted to complete that. So I just had to switch my energy and channel it into something else, which when all you want to do is your job is really, really hard. And that I don't know that I've, I don't know that there is a right way of doing that. And I don't know that I, I don't know if I could have done that better and I don't know how I would have done it better. Um, but I'd say I still have quite a lot of energy and <laughs> I'm trying to channel it towards Tokyo, but it's just taking its time. If there hadn't been a pandemic and we'd gone to Tokyo and you'd sort of had your first Olympics, you were must have been confident that you were on a, a good path. You know, you, you'd been working up as you say, a, a four-year period to that point. Apart from maybe the time in terms of a physical, you getting more time to train towards it, is there anything you think you have gained from this year that will improve your Tokyo experience? Obviously, you, you haven't been yet, so you can't compare it, but do you think there are tangible things that you can sort of think, actually, I'm so glad I've got this now sort of in my armory? Yes, I think that um, what I was talking about before in terms of the the conversations we were having where we were sitting down and on video calls and saying, how are you? Um, we also created a project within that time to create momentum. And it was stuff that we probably didn't spend enough time on um, over the year. And things that don't necessarily get missed but don't have a real focus on things that aren't just the rowing that aren't just the technical pattern that aren't just the mindset it's um excelling all of those things and really expanding them so that okay well specifically in an eight what can we do better um how do we want to row why are individually all of us doing this? Exploring things that we 
don't normally have the time to really explore to the extent that we explored them over the 16, 17 weeks that we were apart. And I think that not only have the athletes gained strength and not only have from being on the ergo all of the time, but, and not only do we have another year to train, but we've had another year to really grow and grow in terms of our maturity. And I think that uh, we've gained knowledge that I don't think any of us would have been able to gain in the time that we had up to Tokyo. Um, And things that maybe you wouldn't normally think are important. Um, And we've thought thought about them. We've randomly thrown things out there just as on a whim and ended up having hour long conversations and thinking oh we've really got to go and do some training now yeah (laughs) but that's like we're stuck in a conversation which is amazing um in a good way stuck in a conversation (laughs) like drawn into a conversation that we kind of can't finish um and i think our curiosity has been huge in that and do you think those things that you've done there because you know boats athletes move on athletes change you know an olympic cycle is completely new almost do you think you'll take those procedures into future cycles? A hundred percent, yeah. And I think that we'll even, obviously there's even scope this year, this season for the cruise to change. I don't know who's going to end up in the cruise. So I think that what we've tried to create is something that's transferable. Um, and I think that those, if we can be transferable with even one thing, such as, being able to the week beforehand turn to somebody and say, or the week that you're the, the day before the race and say, I do not feel okay. Like, or, oh my God, I'm so excited. I don't know what to do. I think that that would be a huge win and something that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do had it been this year. Thank you for listening. If you would like to see the portraits from this week's episode, please go to findingspace.cc. For more interviews like this, please subscribe to the Finding Space podcast.